Oh, you know what? What else? I think I'm going to give our fans a little ASMR of Garrett's popcorn. Okay. And the deliciousness that is crunching in my mouth this moment. <laughs> okay. I don't think I don't think you get like the full effect, but you know, we're gonna try I like it. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> do it again, do it again. Okay, hold on. Let me get a good crunchy piece. That's awesome. Nina Michelle and Cicely Joy, and we are the Real Snobs, the show where we are sassy chicks discussing flicks and and TV today and streaming content. <laughs> um, Cicely, hey girl, what's up? Lovecraft Country, that's what's up. There you go. Do you See, like that? that's a there's, good there's segue. A good segue. <laughs> that was it right there. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so tonight third, t- <laughs> third time is a charm. Yeah, Yay. you're right. You're right. Um, so as you all probably guessed, we are here again to discuss the amazing show Lovecraft Country. And this time we'll be discussing what's the episode number? Was it six? It's, five? it's episode five episode titled five. Strange Case. Yes. Uh, and this was for me the strangest episode so far. And I, I would say that about every episode, I kind of expected certain things after a while, but this one for me took the cake on, on strangeness. So, you know, aptly they, named, they keep really surprising us over where they're gonna go because you know they started off with monsters and just like mm-hmm. kind of disgusting like gory bloody type stuff and then they they went to ghost and horror and then they went to indiana jones type stuff um yeah. it's like where else they're gonna take us and yeah this is kind of unexpected because even though it to me it wasn't like the most well it was graphic but it wasn't the most graphic compared to some of the other ones it it's like mentally really messed up (laughs) yeah this is more of for me this like a this is the psych thriller episode of the fall yes um so let's uh let's get right into it because it's it's interesting it's it's to say the least we're gonna dive in and um as i've been doing now i've been really paying attention to the uh, title scene to kind of give little tidbits of what to expect even though i saw the you know the preview from last week but uh Mm. the title scene shows a profile of who looks like a person that looks like ruby um that's letty's sister just to remind you with um butterflies kind of either coming from her or forming the uh profile silhouette Mm. so all of a sudden i mean you know it's going to be about ruby and it's going to be about uh, to some uh, parable about butterflies and metamorphosis and change mm-hmm. or something, maybe freedom, who knows? Yeah. So this episode opens with, oh, wait, let me back up. If you, if just to remind you of what happened in the last episode, at the end of the last episode, Ruby, um, after uh, 
going to the department store of her dreams to try to apply for a job and seeing that another um, black saleswoman has been hired. Um, she's a little disenchanted and a little bummed and stuff. So she's singing her blues in a bar, not really feeling the audience. The audience isn't feeling her. She goes to a bar to have a drink and she is um, approached by William. And that's mm-hmm. Christina Braithwaite's um, butler, guy, friend, whatever. And he basically, you know, she's thinking he's just trying to come on to her. He flirts with her, but he does say, like, I can, you know, I can change your life. And eventually they go home together. They sleep together. And that's the last that you see of Ruby from that episode. Yeah. So this episode opens up with a white woman waking up in the circular bed um, in William's home. So here's um, the interesting thing before you continue there, mm-hmm. because at first I didn't know who this woman was. And at first you, you may not recognize her, but all the way back in episode two, it's the white woman who was in the town who had those two dogs that was guarding that tower. That was her. That was her. Wow. Oh, okay. So I think uh, I'm not going to spoil wait, this, but wait, 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 remind no, me to come back wait. to this point. No, not, wait, maybe I'm wrong because that's that's who I equated it to be. She and I looks was, like her. It looks like her, but I really I want to say it was her, but I really don't think it might have been. I might be mistaken there because because and I say that because of what I realized later in the episode. But mm-hmm. let's continue. Forget I said it for now. Let's just continue. I'm, gonna, it's a I'm white going woman. to do a little uh, research though because I am now really curious because she does look like her. She favors her. She looked real familiar. I said, who is that? <laughs> Not that I've seen the actual actress before because I have, but I'm talking about like, I feel like I saw her in this series before. But yeah. anyway, let's continue. You so, said that you woke up in the bed. Yeah. Um, uh, this white woman woke up in the bed. We haven't seen this person before-ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, she wakes up really confused, looking at her hands, looking at her. She's naked, but she's really confused. Obviously, uh, she does not recognize herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks in the mirror. She's, you know, um, I wouldn't say cringing, but just in disbelief. And we, um, we see her uh, in the next scene or um, kind of wandering the street she has a robe on now she's wandering the street a little confused trying to ask for help and she she approaches um i think a barber shop and she says her name is ruby mm. um because of course everyone's just seeing who's this white woman in the south side of chicago right um barely clothed looking crazy and all that and they don't really want anything to do with her but you know she's she is terrified so at this moment we're seeing this is Ruby. Somehow she woke up as a white woman. Most yeah. likely this happened because of um, her uh, intimate night with William. Um, so a young black uh, kid bumps into her um, and immediately cops see this and pull over and then just uh, immediately just go into start roughing him up, assuming that he was assaulting her or something mm-hmm. when it ro- really was like just a casual bump in the street mm-hmm. um of course this is uh, this is something we're all too familiar with even today where uh a lot of uh, black men especially or black mm-hmm. boys are proven guilty before innocent you know yeah. and um if they can even survive an encounter to get the benefit of the doubt afterwards you know they're lucky yeah. and so you know given that this was this series is set in the 50s and 
in episode three, they kind of did an Easter egg sort of situation um, with a boy that was dressed like a young Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it kind of harkened to me. It harkened to that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Like those cops were immediately ready to beat this young black boy to a pulp just because a white woman in his vicinity looked disheveled and upset. You know? Yeah. And um, and Ruby, being that she is now in this white woman's body, so, so she thinks, she doesn't realize yet that she could have stopped it. Yeah. So she's you know, watching helplessly for a moment and like, this boy's about to get you know, messed up by the police. What can I do? Yeah, they're calling Until him she, an animal, all this animal, stuff. Animal, the whole thing. Like, you molested her. You did this. You did that. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then finally she says, because she just couldn't take the idea of it. She's like, no, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Just, I just want to get home. I just want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they reluctantly, and then... angrily actually leave him alone. Like, they wanted to mess him up. And that's, it's just so messed up. It is, and it it, um, brings to mind, and especially because this was happening in broad daylight where everyone's seen, but everyone pretty much felt helpless to do anything because they know what would be the outcome for them stepping in. But of course, Mm -hmm. here is um, a white woman um, who just says one word or, you know, stop and and, and saves, quote unquote, saves him. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's that whole kind of white savior type um, yeah. motif happening but you know it was the times it is is the times unfortunately um, that we are seeing reflected with that so that was a that was a very strong kind of opening scene and yeah, um, if you can imagine how Ruby must have felt like all of a sudden having this power seeing these cops respond to her in that way mm-hmm. um, but not really grasping what was going on so the cops approach her um, and, and speak to her as they know her. They knew that she would be out here saying, oh, your, your husband's been looking for you. Um, he, you know, it's okay. We're going to take you home. And so she gets in the car um, with them. And of course she starts, um, she, she starts having these kind of spasms that, yeah. you know, you're not sure what's happening to her, but you're seeing like something kind of crawl under her skin and the, to the cops, they, they say, they mention that, oh, her husband mentioned she was going to have little fits or whatever. Yeah. So they, they're, you know, kind of not phased by it because they just think she's a crazy woman and they're just doing their job to return her. Mm-hmm. So um, they get back to the house and William's there to help her in. And basically he has this tarp on the floor of, I guess the, the study and mm-hmm. he carries her in and places her down the tarp. So, you know, some stuff is about to happen. Yeah. It's kind of weird. And she's writhing and, and, and twisting and trying to crawl because she's in so much pain, but she can't really walk. So she's trying to get off the tarp, but he's pulling her back in. And all of a sudden you start seeing her skin kind of splitting open. Mm-hmm. And William um, talks about something about um, he, he references her this change as a metamorphosis yeah uh, right before taking a knife and and what appeared to be like stabbing her or cutting her but Mm -hmm. we know now that he was basically helping to peel this skin that the actual ruby Mm -hmm. was in and and the skin was coming off and peeling and sloughing off of her and she's coming out yeah in this very painful process because not only is it the skin but her the whole body type of this white woman was completely different so i'm sure it's like 
almost like how they display like werewolf transformations where your body, your bones and stuff are like, you know, changing and breaking and all that. Yeah. And you hear it like the sound mixing was insane. Like you hear the bones like growing, cracking, stretching, crunching, all the crunching (laughs) noises. And you, you just feel pain while you're watching this and you're like, Oh my God, like what the heck's going on with her? (laughs) And, and like, so, yeah. And so, as you see him kind of assisting, it goes to an, uh, the next scene. Uh, we're seeing Montrose now at Letty's house in the room where Yahima um, was. And he's sitting in the chair, his hands still kind of bloody from after cutting Yahima's neck, <clears throat> but you don't see any sign of her in yeah. the room. But he's sitting there kind of in disbelief, just staring at his hands, kind of like can't believe that what he did. Mm-hmm. And Tick and Letty walk in to, I guess, just check on things. And Letty's like, oh, you know, where is she? And, or, you know, what's happening? And he just says she's gone. Mm. And immediately, and I think they, they look around and they notice the, um, the, uh, the, what is it? The letters or the papers yeah, are going as well. Mm-hmm. And Tick starts um he snaps and he immediately starts attacking mantras like beating him like to a pulp <laughs> yeah um beating his face and it's just this rage that's coming out of him um hold on yeah when um what did i say in my notes yeah uh this rage was coming out of him when he realized that mantras destroyed the the pages yeah so like everything they went through to get it and he was just like what and he just it, it was just all rage, all anger. And Letty mm-hmm. had to try to stop him because he yeah. would have kept beating him until he was dead because he was that much of a blind rage. And yeah, um, yeah that was that was kind of intense. And I said, what in the crap? Where did that come <laughs> from? Because up until this time, for me, George has seemed a little more docile than that. Like, just bo- kind of really somebody that was... That's what I meant, tick. Um, yeah. boiling under the surface a little bit. I mean, anybody who's seen war, you kind of mm-hmm. feel like they have it in them. But, you know, he had been managing it pretty well up to that point, in my opinion. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Like, him snap you would like expe- that? You would expect yeah. that if he if he saw someone harming someone he loved, but for kind of right. what, what the reason was, it was surprising. Um, yeah. So in the next scene, um, you see him down in the basement in Letty's dark room, frantic- frantically like searching her the um, her dark room for photos of the pages. And Letty um, comes down and approaches him, and he's like, I, "Didn't didn't you take pictures? Tell me, please tell me you took pictures of the pages." And she admits that she did. She just mm-hmm. hasn't developed them yet. And all the right. while, like he's still frantic, he looks down and, and he starts to calm down, and he notices she has a bat because. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she's she's not sure what state he's in. Like, if he one will harm her, if he's going to harm right. himself, whatever. And she's just prepared to do whatever is necessary to kind of stop him. And, uh, and, you know, probably not necessarily harm him, but maybe knock yeah. him out or whatever. Yeah. Um, so he calms down and he just walks past her. Um, and we see just the scene. That's yeah. the end of that scene. Um, next, we find um, Ruby waking up again in Will's bed, this mm-hmm. time in her own body, um, after this change that she has encountered. And 
William is there to kind of uh, explain what's happening. And he tells her about his research and how um, um, he, what, what was his research about? Like he just wanted to understand I don't know if he went into a lot of detail about his research, but well, just not just finding a lot found, of support. Yeah, he said he found a way to do some things and do the this kind of transformation and how he didn't have a lot of support or whatever, which was kind of weird to me because yeah. at the time when I was watching it, I was like, I thought he was just the butler for the family or for an assistant to Christina yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, okay, whatever. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, with him now approaching Ruby and doing the whole thing, I said, okay, well, he's got more, uh, yeah, more autonomy than I thought, right? Yeah, um, so he's like, look, you can do and go wherever you want, I'm just trying to give you the option to also be something else. Yeah, so that basically, yeah, you can be a power, you can be powerful, you can, you, you're not stuck in like the life that you have. But right. he also, uh, when he was discussing his research, he mentioned finding Hiram Epstein. And if you remember, mm-hmm. Hiram was the one that owned the house that did all those experiments on um, black people that he kidnapped. Um, yeah, Letty's from house. Police. Yeah. Um, so, and he helped, Hiram helped him open this magical doorway. So I guess um, he, he implies like Hiram showed him more the mystical ways of um, accomplishing his experiments and research and right. finding this method of doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, so he explains that it's a potion and the potion will wear off. It's yeah. not, it's not permanent, but he offers this to Ruby to, um, and, you know, discusses how it mimics metamorphosis mm-hmm. Um and and she's yeah he was just like look it's up to you but if i give you this um you have to do something for me later and yeah explain what it will be but he's just like you know hey go have fun do what you gotta do check it out right yeah and he um you know he says oh it's small it's inconsequential like uh don't worry about it yeah but you know you know this is not for free (laughs) yeah so Ruby discusses how she felt, and this was really important, to be treated like a human being as a white woman. And that, mm-hmm. that was the first time she's ever been felt like being treated like a human. Yeah. Um, so she takes the potion again, willingly this time, mm-hmm. and enjoys the other side, the better, quote unquote, better side of life during yeah. that time. And I felt this was kind of significant because during their this like montage of her going out now enjoying life getting ice cream going to these diners that you know before she was not allowed in yeah without people side-eyeing her or or grimacing or anything she's just enjoying being free Mm -hmm. they have um there there's a uh, narration of for colored girls um who oh yeah for colored girls who consider suicide when the rainbow is enough yes yeah, mm-hmm. so I thought that was kind of, you know, it was fitting, um, uh, interesting juxtaposition to what we yeah. were seeing. Yeah, but beautiful, um, beautiful play, beautiful and tragic play um, yeah. that has been adapted into movies and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that was kind of interesting, having that 
uh, recited in the background of her montage. And she Mm -hmm. looks so beautiful. So like as a white woman, she's just gorgeous and she's carefree looking and she's just living life. And you realize that there is a black girl behind that skin who, if she were just allowed to be her, could never experience that in that time. And that was somewhat tragic. And I think it's, I think it's fitting that yeah. a tragic monologue like for colored girls was playing in the background of that. So um, the next scene we see um, Letty finds Tick now at his uncle George's shop. Mm-hmm. And um, she tells him that she has the pics, uh, the pictures of the pages. Mm-hmm. And so they're just having a moment where Tick kind of discusses uh, or tells her, opens up to her about, where that rage came from and talks about how he was being beaten as a child and how he, like you said, he kind of learned to control that in the war and all that. But I, it was just this tender moment of them opening up him being vulnerable to him or Mm -hmm. her. And of course they, they ended that scene with some intimacy. (laughs) Yeah. The sex scene was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. It was almost softcore porn for me. Yeah, a little I bit, was, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I was like, "Journey, okay, I, oh, see I know." You. Like, I'm do you have a body devil? Yeah, <laughs> I see it. Okay, but it was I'm... still tasteful. You know, it was. Like... It was tasteful. It was. Um, the next sex scene was not as tasteful to me. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so then it goes back, back to Ruby, Ruby at Will's house. And now um, Will discusses the, the, that, oh no, this is at the time when he mentions to Ruby um, that um, she will, he will need a favor from her. And then he asks Ruby, you know, why didn't she use the money that he left for her when he left the potion and money for her mm-hmm. to kind of go out and enjoy life and do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that she states that the only, she only needed the currency of whiteness. Mm. And so I had to write down this quote that she said, because I, it, to me, I felt this. <laughs> she mm. said, I don't know what's more difficult, being colored or a woman. Most days I'm happy to be both, but the world keeps interrupting and I'm sick of being interrupted. Mm. And this spoke to me so much because in that whole, that whole montage of her just kind of going out and enjoying life and experiencing how it is to not have people not feel like she's being questioned or, or, you know, like something's going to happen is Mm -hmm. something that no black person in this country, I don't think has ever imagined experiencing. Like I cannot even imagine that (laughs) because it's unequivocally protected. Yeah. Like it's so ingrained protected by a society is something that we honestly, even to this day, a lot of us, just will not ever feel or do not feel. I know that if I were to go out by myself in certain neighborhoods, I wouldn't feel as protected as I would be in others. Whereas if you're white, especially if you're a white woman, honestly, you don't have to, you don't feel that way. Yeah. And this I is mean, how we get Karens because Karens are so used <laughs> to get in their way. And even in spaces where we are very welcome and, mm-hmm. and, and things are friendly and stuff, there's still this sense of otherness. Like we still feel like that I, I, I cannot really be seen without my skin being 
a part of that. And mm-hmm. not to say that that's a bad thing, because I, I do want people to recognize I am a black woman, but I don't want them to recognize I'm a black woman as a factor in any decision and any thought process or anything that they do like that, right. that matters. And right. I don't, so just her experiencing, you know, going to get ice cream and, and, and just going into places that she hasn't been able to go to before, um, walking down the street, um, not fearing that, you know, she's going to get pulled over or anything like that. I, it just, it kind of blew my mind. Cause I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever had a moment, maybe when I was really little and, totally innocent and naive to like race. Yeah. But I don't think I ever really had a conscious moment where I've experienced that type of freedom. Cause I know. Cause we're taught that once we're old enough, our parents are like, listen, society looks at you this way and you may feel that you're comfortable around certain people, but really they're looking at you. So you have to be a certain way. A lot yeah. of us are taught that like you have to, hold yourself a certain way you have to look a certain way you have to dress a certain way wear your hair a certain way talk a certain way I mean look at it's exhausting it doesn't matter you could be the smartest person the richest person the most um whatever person you could look at um Barack Obama you know like they still they would still use his race Mm -hmm. as a means to make him feel othered and to bring him down and to make him feel less than and no and he's a brilliant person yeah, of course know? of course so so and, anyway and, yeah it's in this it's upsetting but um you're right it was a powerful line i think one of the most powerful lines in the whole series to me yeah um yeah yeah so um uh the next thing it continues with ruby you know just um again um, so now she is, um, in this woman's body, but she is going by the name. Was it Hillary? Hillary, uh, something. Yeah. Some something. Yeah. White name. <laughs> yes. Hillary Davenport. That's Davenport. what it was. Very um, so name. she goes to Marshall Fields and she wants to apply for her dream job. Cause she's like, okay, now this is, I should be able to get it. Mm-hmm. And it, immediately, you know, she's, she has this wonderful, um, interview with their manager. The manager's looking at her resume and commenting on her, all her accomplishments, right. which of course stand out to me because I'm sure that if she was there as Black Ruby, he would, if, if he even bothered to look at her resume, he probably would be seeing those same accomplishments as a different, in a different way. Like, oh, you yep. only did this or you only did that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's asking like, well, why do you want to be part of this family? And she starts talking about, you know, a memory uh, that she had growing up. And of course, she changes certain details to make it seem more palatable to or relatable, I would say, to his um, his experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately he immediately. No, before he hires her, he asked how she feels about working with. Uh, about colored people are yeah. working alongside colored people and that uh, saying that the company um, has pushed them to be a little bit more inclusive. And so they had, they basically had a diversity hire mm-hmm. and, but not to think that they are, um, you know, um, what did he call it? Um, race advocates or something like that or something, integration yeah, advocates. something completely like off collar. And, yeah, basically uh, just saying, you know, but, you know, we all still kind of feel a certain way. We just are doing our part to. And you know what's funny about that? I know for a fact 
that those exact same conversations still happen today. Yeah. And I know for a fact that there are still white people who may be well-intentioned, but because they don't want to ruffle feathers, say, oh, oh, <laughs> it's okay. And, you know, I don't have any problems, whatever. Instead of calling out the BS, like, did mm-hmm. you just say that you had to diversity? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just... It's just, and that's what Ruby in this Miss Davenport skin actually did. Like yeah. she knew better, but she knew like this she is still stayed in her lane. Yeah, stayed <laughs> in the lane. Like this is still the job that I want. So I'm not gonna, you know, go off and look like the crazy person going against social norms or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so, oh, that was just the most upsetting. It was interview. a little cringeworthy, the whole experience. Yeah. And so he he mentions also how when um the, the girl that was hired, or I'm sorry, the woman that's hired, um, was uh Tamara mm-hmm. or Tam- Tamara, I think that's how they pronounced it. And how when they hired her, there were a lot of people that did quit. So um he immediately offered her um Hillary mm-hmm. um Man- uh, assistant for- manager yeah. position, like a very high position. Yeah, um, of because he didn't takes... want her to quit because of the black girl. Yeah, that's um, insane. And, but also, she's qualified for that too. Yeah. You know? So, um, so of course she accepts it, um, and it skips uh, t- back to Montrose. Yeah. Um, so this is to me a pivotal scene because Montrose shows up at the uh, hotel room or the the room where the bartender that we saw, I think from the first episode when Tick was looking for his father um, and he, he uh, walked in on this bartender getting um, a blowjob in the alleyway, um, implying that he may be homosexual. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this scene, Montreux shows up in his hotel room and immediately, you know, no, yeah, there is no question that he is homosexual. Yeah. So Montreux's face is all battered and bruised. He walks in, uh, the guy, and I wish I remember the bartender's name, but the guy comments, he's like, was it um, basically like, was it uh, Negroes or was it so-and-so? Like, who did this to you? And right. Montreux doesn't really say anything, but he, immediately he just kind of pushes him uh, towards the bed, turns him around, and they just go at it in a very yeah. kind of animalistic or very carnal way. Yeah. Um, uncomfortable way very uncomfortable very and 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 uh, devoid of any type of intimacy um the guy afterwards he's kind of trying to like kiss him or something and Montrose dodges that and you can tell like he's he's using this as like a outlet but you know those suspicions that in the prior episodes the character tree Mm -hmm. um mentioned to tick are confirmed that there has been some sexual relationship um between the two so here's my interesting, here's the thing about this. For Now, at the risk of sounding intolerant, because I know we millennials hate that, but um, it's not that I have a problem with gay intimacy, gay sex, or anything like that. This particular scene was so cringy, and I yeah. think it was... At first, when I watched it, I was like, well, that's just a gratuitous sex scene. No one needed that to know he was gay, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. But then I realized, like, with a lot of men, whether straight passing or what have you, 
expressing intimacy and hurt and pain with it with an intimate partner whether it's a woman or a man we see so many scenes where men do this to women yeah a lot yeah and like this is how they express their eye. pain yeah and we don't bat an eye we don't you know we don't think it's cringy it's like well that's just what men do this yeah. happens in gay relationships too mm-hmm. and this is something that I actually had to sit with for for a few days because I was just like, uh, I was so like surprised at myself. I was like, I didn't need to see that, you know. Music, <laughs> I don't care, but I realized it wasn't the fact that it was two gay men. It was the fact that because it was two gay men and it's not the kind of sex that I am intimately familiar with, I was mm-hmm. able to look at the kind of actions that it actually was and. It was another partner. It was a partner using their intimate partner to just, you know, to use their body. As therapy. As, as, therapy. as a form of, and it's not even therapy. It's a, it's, it's a form of like drug abuse. It's like in the same way that they would go yes. to a bar drinking. And I yeah, think- or like, or free base, you know, some crack or something. Yeah. Like. That's what it looked like to me. And it was, it was extremely uncomfortable and extremely cringy and almost rapey. Yeah, and it was I very, was, very so. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, oh my God. And then I realized I have been desensitized to that sort of scene in yeah. all kinds of TV and movies up to this point. But because it usually happens to a woman yeah. in these scenes, I usually don't bat an eye. I don't think twice about it because I have been programmed to think that well that's just what some men do who don't know how to connect with their feelings and blah, 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 blah. so well you know what there's there's a couple of different levels too because outside of what you're saying which is on point mm-hmm. um there is also the the aspect of oftentimes um gay sex is shown in this manner where there's one individual that may be and i'm talking about mainstream not like in porn mm-hmm. but like um there's one individual that may be down low, like not really, you know, like I'm not really gay because they may be the top or whatever. Um, um, And, and this kind of very rough, aggressive, and and again, not intimate um, depiction of gay sex. Mm -hmm. And so one, that's a problem because it does make us feel like, okay, well, this is what it is. And if you're showing, if a man shows any type of intimacy, then oh well you know he definitely he's he's weak he's whatever whatever um, he's uh, definitely gay it's like yeah like either gay you're not there's no like levels to it like yeah and and the fact that we're still seeing the scene and we're still questioning oh is Macho's really gay or is he just using that's what you know like I I kept questioning like maybe he was really seeking he's seeking love from someone and this is an easy source which Mm -hmm. is still horrible because you're using these you're using this man yeah um and who is clearly there for you and take whatever crap you give him yeah um so that's disturbing but the other part is also um kind of similar to how movies and tv depict sex in general especially even um heterosexual heterosexual sex Mm -hmm. and and or i would say tv movies and porn in a so unrealistic way that it makes actual actual moments of intimacy with people it feels like well unless she's making this noise which really equates to pain Mm -hmm. then she's not enjoying it and like 
that noise, that noise that you see and you're, you're getting turned on by because this is what porn shows as good rough sex, that's hurting her. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of women also, I think, grow up thinking that's what good sex should be. It should be rough and painful because if I'm feeling this, that means he's doing something. And I'm like, well, are you feeling good? (laughs) Do you know the difference? Yeah. And to me, I think that's also problematic because it's showing, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think, uh, the bartender was enjoying that. I don't think, cause he looked like he was in so much pain and it looked it was like uncomfortable. He was it looked dry. Saying. It looked, it was like, how can that be enjoyable for him? But it was acceptable in this scene and it comes off as this is an acceptable way to have sex with another man. Yeah. And, and, and in that way, and maybe that is the point of what the director was trying to do. It was so cringy to me. And I, I just feel like even even the scene with um, with uh, Tick and Letty earlier, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know, we all love to see Journey Smollett's behind. I mean, that, you know, it's nice. It's cute <laughs> to look at. But was it necessary? You can be intimate and not or get the idea of intimacy off without showing the actual act of sex. And I feel like in both scenes, I honestly feel like both scenes were not necessary, specifically when it comes to um, Tick's dad later on in the episode. Yeah. Um, and we also, we already saw intimacy between Tick yeah, and Letty. So yeah, you're right. That. That's, that's so scene... like, why do we need it again? Yeah, to me, that whole scene of him just opening up and stuff, I mean, maybe it serves more of a purpose down the line or it's just trying to explain like his reaction that's what i'm hoping but again like you said earlier that we already saw them have sex and it was great and it needed that sex needed to happen right yeah this one we didn't necessarily need to see it because we already know they care for each other we already know and the fact that he started opening up she gave him a you know a chest hug and all this stuff like (laughs) i got it but then they went and had like let's let's do the sex now because that's what (laughs) let's start the sex yeah it's like (laughs) you know i mean it's I just feel like sometimes we over, we, we put sex in things too much yeah. when it's not necessary. We're not trying to do porn all the time here, guys. Like, we're just trying to tell a story. <laughs> porn, there's so porn many other porn. crazy things to talk about That's in, this, what I in mean. this show. So let's keep going because, yeah. All right. So the next scene to me was like the most, uh, the next most cringe. Like, every time you thought you found a cringeworthy scene, it was another cringeworthy scene. So, Ruby is now at the new job and, Mm -hmm. you know, she's basically like head girl. Um, So she's going around, um, you know, with the chest held high Mm -hmm. because she's finally working there. And she goes to approach uh, Tamara, Mm -hmm. uh, the black sales girl, um, just to talk to her. And she, from little conversation, she finds out that Tamara has very little education. Um, I think not past the seventh grade. She has no experience. Right. And like she says, she got hired on a whim. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, so she's trying to connect in, uh, with a person she's more familiar with than some right. of these, uh, the other people, she all of a sudden starts feeling or uh, comes off with these airs of being uh, like, so above her like oh yeah. Tamara doesn't really belong here like I, I deserve that position and I you know right. like I shouldn't have had to go through these limps to try to get this job when they just want they just give it to anyone you know right. I've worked hard and worked my ass off to be recognized and you're just going to pretty much give it to 
who whatever black girl comes off the street that's right the the feeling i was getting so yeah. she she uh is a little snippy with um with the sales girl and goes into i guess a break a break room where she's socializing with the other white employees the other girls um yeah that are on on her team and you know they're just gossiping and all that and she's like okay girls you know it's time time for a break and they're like oh you know why don't you try on these shoes and just getting all chummy and getting buddy buddy Mm -hmm. and then of course in this type of comfortable environment where everyone feels like oh well we understand each other Mm -hmm. they start commenting on you know black girl things and first things they first start commenting on how well hillary is dancing to the song and says oh you know like you you basically you got uh, some rhythm in those hips you can you know yeah, you they say something like a black girl yeah basically mm-hmm. um and then they start uh, gossiping about um tamara saying well we're hoping not to see more of her and of course she's unqualified she's a negro and all these like you know snide remarks that people feel when they when they feel like they're among their peers, they, they get loose with yeah. what they say and they don't know how it may really affect other people. And yeah, so of course, uh, Ruby is not trying to really ruffle any feathers. So she's just, you know, playing her part, mm-hmm. but through these scenes that you're seeing, you're kind of seeing Ruby losing herself to the experience of this white woman, you know, like all of a sudden. Well, like... here, I, I might disagree with you there a bit. I don't think she's losing herself to the white woman's skin. I feel like she wants to, but then when she's like, again, she keeps getting interrupted. Yeah, that's because true. He's like, oh, I'm here. They think I'm white. So I'm just going to live this whiteness while I can. But then someone says something and she's like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, I'm still it, black and they don't know. So now I, but I, like she said, I can't even feign like, like I'm with them because I'm not really. And I think it, it's giving her this, it's adding this conflict because on one hand, you know, she probably innately wants to just beat their ass yeah. for saying what they said, but she's not trying to um, ruffle feathers. She's just trying to do her job and all that. So she, you know, she lets a lot of these slides, which is something that we, we do experience and a lot of people of color experience in uh, work environments in social yeah. environments. So they may not, where... they may say something real racist and real under, under toe. And then they'll be like, Oh, but not you though. I mean, you're like you're yeah. not that kind of black, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or... They're microaggressions. And... Yeah. All the microaggressions. And yeah. So we, we get that. So imagine if you happen to have white skin and yeah. you hear some real crazy stuff, you know, it was it's oof, I can imagine. So yeah, the whole scene is kind of showing a good example of microaggressions, of code switching, of all these different experiences that a lot of people of color in work environments um have to kind of endure just to, yeah. you know, keep things professional, not not uh show show out or give anyone any excuse to um just say, Oh, here's just another angry black girl or here's a whatever. Yeah. So um, um, it's so a, later, what's his name? William shows up when they're about to leave for work. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Oh my god, he's so handsome!" Like all the black white girls are fawning over him and everything. And you know, she lives it up. You know, mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, I'm just peacocking show off. a little bit." <laughs> oh yeah, it's the best. I love that. And um, it was good. It was good stuff. 
Yeah, fun. so the 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 ladies um disperse and um will um he he reaches to kiss her and she, he notices that she kind of pulls away and only will allow um him to kiss her cheek and he mm-hmm. mentions that and she's just and or either he mentions saying like do you not want me to kiss you as Hillary like in this white skin. Mm. Um and so then he asks for his favor and he basically um, tells Ruby that he needs her to go to a party, to attend a party. And uh, Christina um, mm-hmm. will, I guess, give instructions on what to do. Right. And so he says he has, he has something in the back for her, a package for her. And she's all excited because she sees this beautiful box and she opens it and sees it's like a, ser- a servant mm-hmm. uniform. Yeah. Um, so, of course, it kind of reminds her like, oh okay now this is the deal i made with the devil you know right. what, what will i have to do so the next scene is at the um at the party um we see that ruby is serving um the the cops this this brotherhood of cops including the captain that we've we've been following here or there mm-hmm. and she's she's just serving and just kind of biding her time and finally she uh, sees christina and uh, Christina hands her the stone with the symbol and tells her she just needs to hide it in the captain's office. That's basically the whole favor. Right. Just, you know, go and put it in there. Yeah. Um, she mentions, of course, Ruby is, you know, questioning things. And she mentions how William is actually the rightful heir of the lodge mm-hmm. and that the captain tried to kill him uh, to take his seat and thought and shot him in the back and dumped his body, but that she um, saved him. Mm. So um, basically we assume the captain doesn't know that William is still alive. Right. So we don't know what the stone is for. We don't know what the plan is for. We just know that's what Ruby needs to do. Right. So she goes the next up scene, in there. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. It, it, it skips um, back to Letty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Letty is uh, now developing the pics of the papers that she told took that she took. Mm-hmm. Um, and while, while she's doing that in the dark room, Tick is sitting in the middle and this was just a, a weird scene. Yeah. Um, Tick is having a dream with his ancestor from the first or first, second episode when he was yeah. doing that ceremony and he saw the, um, the slave, um, woman, the yeah. female slave that was pregnant that basically helped lead him out of the mansion as it was burning. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's dreaming of her and and again he he's kind of running after her and she stops in the doorway and she starts mouthing something we can't hear it and he asks her like what are you saying and all of a sudden he starts he's set on fire mm. and um he wakes up and now he's kind of frantic to decode the pages because yeah. he's he's like oh, what the fuck was that yeah so as he's kind of looking um um, and telling Letty kind of some of the symbols that he was able to decode based off of just some primary information that he had before the pages were gone. He mentions a symbol that I recognize was the same symbol on the stone that Ruby um, had to hide in the captain's office. Okay. Again, we don't know what this means, but he points it out because of something significant. Right. So. He's like, oh, I've seen this before. And it was like the thing that is taking us through the whole, like a thread that's taking us through the whole series. It's about yeah. this big mystery of what yeah. is, what do these pages say? What do these missing pages say? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting. Letty, um, they're talking and Letty was mentioning about, um, 
uh, Yahima that she basically thought that Montrose just let Yahima go, let her go. And, yeah. and, and she could accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's when Tick kind of uh, told her, enlightened her that no, he killed Yahima. Yeah. And immediately Letty started kind of, you know, she started freaking out saying like, this is all bad. This is all bad. You see what it's turning, you know, everyone into like these pages. This is basically getting religious on us. Like, this is the devil. We, we need, uh, we need to stop messing with this. Just, you know, freaking out. Well, she's yeah. had a couple of moments like this right. um, throughout the show. Yeah, well, because um, she literally was killed and brought back to life. So yeah. I would be, if I were her, I'd be like, I'm not messing with any other weird magic mess and where people are willingly killing folks. Like, this is kind of weird, guys. I don't want to go maybe back that's what Maybe that's what his dream was about. Maybe his ancestor was saying, you're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. Maybe so. That's what he did. <laughs> so, yeah, because he, he was standing in a burning house. And because he yeah. was trying to figure out what she was saying, he got burned. Yeah. You know, instead of just actually leaving the burning house. It's like, mind your business and go. (laughs) Right, you know. So now we go back to Ruby. Um, Ruby's in the captain's office and she hides the stone in his desk. Not in the best place to me, but okay. She puts it like in his drawer. Mm -hmm. And before she leaves, she's hearing, um, she hears knocking and a voice behind um, this closet. And we've we've seen this before in a prior episode when uh, we saw the captain talking to some of his brotherhood and we heard like someone like that muffles, sounded like they were getting bad sounds. Like, yeah. Like they were getting beaten or tortured. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes of course and investigates and she opens the closet and she finds a white man kind of chained up and bleeding and um, it looked like his tongue was cut out. So mm-hmm. it's just like, it was just disgusting. Yeah. But before she could like really freak out, the captain and some guys come in. And so she run, you know, she closes the, she goes into the closet, closes the door behind her, and is trying to keep the the chain man quiet because he's making more noise. Yeah. Um, while the captain is going in to change his shirt and talking about um, whatever. Yeah. Now this was interesting because as the captain is changing his shirt, he opens his shirt and we notice he has black skin like on his torso, like from a black man. Like oh, not, not burned. I didn't notice first, that. Yeah, at first I was like, "Is the skin burned or what?" And then another scene, it looks like almost Frankenstein. Like someone patched him up with like black skin. Oh my god! Yeah, that, it was so strange. Who was doing experiments? Maybe yeah, something on him. Oh, probably. See, this is that. This is this is classic Jordan Peele to me. Yeah, like just that me, creepy. Yeah, real creepy type stuff. Yeah. And then they yeah. mentioned that the man in the closet, because they could hear him kind of making noise, they mentioned him being um, locked up there because he stole some loot and they said, has he, is he ready to talk? And of course, he doesn't have a tongue, so yeah. um, the captain says, you know, he will. Mm-hmm. But that's all we know um, about to that me, situation. I thought they said, I thought they mentioned that he was dead already. No, no. No? Uh, no, because they could hear him. Oh, um, they were just kind of like. Me, I thought he was a zombie. No, I think no? it was he. He just had his tongue cut out, so he okay. was making noise like a zombie because he couldn't right. speak. I see. Um, so they were just torturing but, him. Yeah. Okay. And then it kind of jumped. The next scene was now Ruby uh, back at work. So somehow, you know, she got out of that situation. Whatever. We don't mm-hmm. know. She's okay. So 
Ruby is now at work and she's kind of nitpicking on everything that um, Tamara is doing and her displays and basically telling her, no, you got to do it this way and do it that way. Kind of showing, projecting her own resentments of uh, Tamara not being as qualified as she would, as she feels she should be right uh, for the role. And um, as she's kind of making a little bit of a scene. So the manager, the male manager, uh, Mr. Hughes Mm -hmm. um, comes up and he's like, Oh, is there a problem or anything? And she's like, no, no, kind of comes back to herself. And she's like, no, I'm not going to get this girl in trouble. So she's like, no, no, no problem. In fact, Tamara just uh, offered to take us all to the South side for some fun, which was something that there were um, her white coworkers mentioned, maybe that, something that Tamara could do. Yeah. I don't know why um, Ruby did this to her like that. Was it really just all of the resentment and be like, I, you know what? Fine. It now, was we're, now she's going to take her out, take everybody out and blah, blah, blah. I, because... I kind of felt like this is why I felt like that Ruby was, was kind of losing herself because it felt like she was kind of appeasing the other coworkers, but at the same time, you know, like, okay, what are you trying to accomplish with this? Yeah. I was like, why would you even offer that knowing as a black woman herself, knowing that she wouldn't want to be put in that situation. And yet she put someone else in that situation. And it was so weird. It was a weird micromanaging. But you know, at the same time, it may have been her knowing that, no one really liked or wanted Tamara to be there. Maybe it was her trying to like give Tamara a in like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to make them like you because you're doing this gesture for them type thing. So that's fucked up though. Yeah. I, it was weird, but you know, that's, that's Ruby. (laughs) Please get to this next scene because I need to talk about it. Yes. Yes. So next scene is we find Montrose hanging in what is a dressing room and he is surrounded by cross-dressers or drag queens. Yeah. At the time, I wasn't sure. I was just like, I just oh, know these real are... real drag queens. My girl Shangela from RuPaul's Drag Race was in there. <laughs> and I, I clocked it all. I was, I was here for that. I know you died. <laughs> I did. I really did. I was so excited. Yeah. So, of course, we're like, okay. Okay. <laughs> he's hang- he's oh, yeah. here. Shangela and-, and Monet Exchange. But please continue. Yeah, so he's he's just chilling kind of in his little zoned out while everyone around him is, you know, just getting ready for this event that is going to happen and they're just having a good time and they're kind of mentioning, you know, they're they're mentioning Montrose and again, I wish I knew the bartender's name as a couple yeah. but are making comments about like, well, all right, can you really call them a couple? They don't even kiss or, you know, right. kind of mentioning like their lack of intimacy but recognizing that they are together to some degree. Um, again, Montrose is just not really engaging with anyone. He's just out of it. But as um, the bartender, he's kind of, he's, he's, you know, he's putting on a robe and he's putting on this makeup. And I think, mm-hmm. what, what was he doing? Was he singing a poem or Yeah, or something? He, I don't know. He was just, you know, performing extra, getting ready to perform. <laughs> yeah. As the drag queen. And kind of like enticing or, or getting Montrose's attention. Yeah, just trying to flirt. Yeah. Trying to make Montrose so, relax a bit more. And Montrose at the time just wasn't having it. He's just chilling in the corner, trying to just walking around, like kind of on the periphery of everybody. Yeah, um, just there like because he has nowhere like else to be. <laughs> yeah, like he has nowhere else to be literally. Like 
He just stuck out no with, like, one else short wants him. in his dressing room. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Um, and so, then he gets to, yes. Yeah, so it goes, now Now uh, we're back with Ruby and her coworkers at, at this bar on the south side. And at first I was like, are they at the same bar that Montrose is? Because this is going to be awkward, but no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just kind of chilling, um, sitting around. The girls are liking, you know, eye candy and they, they want to get up and dance. They're like, Tamara, show us how to do, you know, this dance. So they get, everyone gets up to dance. But Hillary is um, uh, staying behind and she's like, I'll catch up with you. Uh-oh. Yeah, sorry. Someone tried to call it. I thought it was interrupting. Um, <laughs> so she stayed, she stays behind and then um, uh, what was I saying? So we n- now see her outside in the alleyway and she is she's about to transform back because that's the thing. She has to always have the potion on her because she can transform at any time. And she's holding the potion, but you can tell she's allowing herself to start changing without taking the potion. And she just destroys it. She crushes it because I think she's sick at this point. She's sick of being white. Yeah. She's, she wants to be in her own skin. And as she is, um, you know, crawling out of her skin in this really graphic and disgusting way in the alleyway and this whole time I'm like girl what you gonna do you don't you don't have a change of clothes you don't have a shower you don't have like a a napkin right (laughs) so what you gonna do um she overhears her manager Mr. Hughes um outside with Tamara and he's basically sexually assaulting her he's He's pushed her up against the wall saying how he wants to just see it, how he wants to smell her, how he always heard that um, you girls smell sweet down there and mm. um, just being very aggressive. Well, we, we saw this coming because as he was interviewing Hillary and other uh, interactions, he was flirting with her. Yeah. Um, and even when she mentioned it to the other girls, the other girls just kind of waved it off like, oh, please, not him. Mm. So... Not really surprised to see this scene. Um, Tamara gets away by biting him and, and runs away. And, mm-hmm. you know, he calls her some like a nigger bitch or whatever. Yeah. Which is so disturbing. So uh, Ruby witnesses all this. The thing for me about this scene was actually seeing the whole, the transformation, the skin melting. Yeah. The, the, the visual effects of the skin literally melting off of her and seeing it slide down her body like that yeah and then like dissolving even more as it hits the floor like it was so gross it was so gross but at the same time I felt like when it when the transformation's done I bet it feels amazing yeah you know what I mean it's so interesting because we saw the first time she transformed it was so painful to her now she can do it so like whatever like it's not even much of a thing um so yeah then then we go back to the drag show and now we're in full show mode and we're seeing everyone in their glory and it's a amazing it seems like an amazing event amazing party Montrose is still kind of just standing there in the days um but he 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 feels so lost he seems so lost at first but then as things are going and the energy is so um intoxicating um he starts to come out of it and he um he finds his his lover his the the bartender 
as everyone is just dancing around him and just like in this great, great, having this great energy and he's finally mm-hmm. coming out of it. He finds him and he starts kissing, kissing him passionately. Like finally the intimacy that he's been holding back that he hasn't allowed himself to feel. Um, mm-hmm. He is, he let go and he's free like this butterfly. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and maybe it's because I am not in this scene like the ball scenes um, regularly, even mm-hmm. though I appreciate it. I I was questioning at first why it is that we had to go through the whole drag ball scene in order for him to feel comfortable mm. when, but, but like he's literally in public, but maybe it's just because of the nature of coming out as, um, you know, being, LGBTQ but in this time frame it had to be so like at this particular era in time like it had to be so constraining because not only can you be killed for being black you can be killed for being gay and it was just like yeah like you just had two of three strikes against you already right and at first I was just like we didn't need to see the drag scene and as much as I love it and I'm a fan of it I was like, why do we need this ball scene? But I guess they used the scene itself to have the character of Montrose feel like there's some sort of freedom somewhere. Because up to this point, he has been so wound up throughout the whole show. Like, he was kidnapped and put in a dungeon and his his uh, brother's killed in front of him. And then there's, the, you know, it's just like so much going on in this man's life. And maybe this scene literally the scene and the and the scene in the show was used to just be like a backdrop for him to like you said feel free maybe that's what it was i i actually see also um a couple of different things too where on one hand and this i really may be um looking a lot deeper into it than it really is but i, I while he's in the scene and he's kind of just out of it and he starts coming out of this haze and like seeing this glory of all the energy around him, it almost feels like he's realizing that, wow, if they can kind of, all these people around him can accept themselves Mm -hmm. and feel accepted in this space, at least Mm -hmm. I should be able to, too, you know, kind of like, I want to feel that. Let me feel that. But I think during that time, it's also like it's, there's a sliding scale of acceptance, especially then within, mm-hmm. I guess, um, not within the gay community, but of the gay community, because it's one thing for, um, I guess, for people to see two men, two masculine men together. Even to this day, when we see like two very masculine men mm-hmm. uh, together, sometimes people kind of seem confused you know they're like oh well they don't seem gay you know these stereotypes of like what a a gay um, man would be and so I think it's like because he is interacting with someone that is dressed as a woman that looks very beautiful as a woman everything like that maybe it's like part of the attention whatever homophobia may be happening um, one the attention would be more on um the the drag queen and it's like well of course uh, you know you're confusing him you look like a woman and stuff so why would he be um you know like it's it's not on the the attention wouldn't be on Montrose. the attention would be more on what the the drag queen is doing to like corrupt this Mm. this 
man and all. So it's like there's there's I guess more acceptance of that than acceptance of two masculine men mm-hmm. being together. And maybe that's that in this space and being at this drag show, that was that was his little nugget of into acceptance. Like I and I totally get what you're saying. Like why do we have to have it displayed like this for him to finally like, you know, accept whatever and and be comfortable with his lover and all that. But I think it's like, it's, it's baby steps, unfortunately. (laughs) No, it's not unfortunate. If it's baby steps, it's baby steps. And that's fine. Um, But yeah, I'm here for it. It was great. I love seeing all the frivolity and the fun. Um, Yeah, the scene was was awesome. (laughs) It was a nice, you know, departure from all of the horror and the craziness that we had been seeing. To me, that was the most normal kind of scene that felt like a musical like it was about yeah (laughs) yeah off into a big musical number um so yeah so we um we leave the drag show and now ruby is back at will she's still kind of bloodied from her transformation she's wearing a blanket and just sitting kind of like in the foyer or in the hallway um waiting yeah. And as she's waiting, she sees Christine come to mm-hmm. um, come up from the basement yeah. and um, she locks it. And at this point, you know, Ruby's kind of had it. She's seen people coming from this basement before and has questioned it. And so she's like, OK, what's going down? What's down there? You know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But she and let me back up too. there was a moment uh, when. Ruby and Christina were talking. I think this was at the party mm-hmm. that Ruby was serving. I can't remember, but Christine, uh, Christina made some comment that uh, that Ruby told Will William, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Oh, William told you about that," and you know, Christina kind of just brushed it off. Yeah. So that was important because as Ruby is seeing Christina here and is questioning what's in the basement, um, you know, Christina is kind of. Um, oh yeah I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead at this point she's just talking to Christina and Christina's starting to say um, you know Ruby is saying like she's basically done with it she's done right. with the potions she's done with that Christina starts talking about or trying to lure her in, back into the interest of like you don't understand it's not about yeah, being a white woman it's about having power and freedom like magic right. everything that magic can give you it's total freedom to do whatever the fuck you want to do that's exactly what she said and um basically just telling her like i kind of i too it felt like she wants to say like i too knows how it feels to be but no um but yeah then she said the line again she was like what would ruby do if she weren't interrupted or something yes that's i was like oh it's a callback i love a good callback so, you know, um, so Ruby decides, okay, she's not done. She's going to utilize this potion and for, a bene- for her benefit in a different way, not just I'm going to get a job, I'm going to just live my life uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, so next we see White Ruby. <laughs> I'm calling her White Ruby because she's not Hillary now. She's White Ruby. All right. um, she goes um, 
she's at the job and she's in Mr. Hughes office and she basically tells him I'm here to resign. And he's like, why, you know, is it because of Tamara and this and that? And she's like, no, it's because I, I've been, I've been in denial, but uh, you know, like I, I'm, she's seducing him basically saying like, she, she feels certain things and she's noticed like how he looks at her and that if she quits, then she can, she has no problem. Like finally giving in and in mm-hmm. giving her, him her body all that stuff so just seducing him and of course he's starting to get like really really turned on and yeah and crazy and so as you know she she's seducing him she's sitting she's there and she's more like, and more aggressive you know, she's tying his hands back she tells him you know like she's undoing his pants and pulls him down and tells him to get on his knees and and then takes her underwear off and stuffs them in his mouth and as she's doing this, he makes a comment about her eyes. So we see that she's already starting to transform mm-hmm. and she's not even phased. She's like, aren't they interesting? You know, don't you love it? And throughout this whole t- scene, they're playing Cardi B. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. Yeah. What was the song? Black um, Yellow. Yes. They're playing that. And as she is, uh, he is on he was on her knees. She pushes him down and gets behind him. And or mm-hmm. she, before she told him to like lick her heel and he's, you know, sucking and licking her um, heel from her shoe. Mm-hmm. And then she gets up, pushes him down and proceeds as she is starting to transform. He can't see this. Mm-hmm. She proceeds to take that heel and start and she shoves it up his ass. And when yes. I say shove it, I mean... It's- it was insane. Like she's literally assaulting this man with her heels. Yes. And it's so, it's like, when I say shove, I'm not talking about like a, you know, a slow shove. I'm talking no, about it's like, like swift. Stabbing him. Stabbing him over and over and over with this heel. And you see the blood and all that. And it's, yeah. and then at the last, as he's like, you know, just, in shock and in pain uh she flips him over so he can see who she really is now you know all bloodied from the skin coming off and um she takes the heel off and that no she puts the heel back on and walks away and kind of wipes the blood and i think the line from cardi's is like uh yeah, red bottom red like bottom the, these bloody, bloody shoes. <laughs> yeah. like, these people like, okay okay I was like, these filmmakers have got to stop now like this is getting it was insane i was like oh she's not stopping like i thought it'd be like one two or something but she just kept stabbing him over and over and over i was just like yo this is and she said i want you to know that like a, a black bitch or did this to you or something like that and oh my god it was it was like it was needed because yeah. you, you were you were wanting him to get his come ups, but, uh, but that like, was that was uh, a lot. I was like, oh no, she's she's using like the pent up rage of the yes. ancestors. On yes, him. Like, this yes. is something else entirely. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I was just like, oh boy. And oh, then boy. it switches, and to me, this is again like I felt like the, all of the Letty and Tick scenes really didn't weren't necessary in this show. But it switches now. Letty's in the tub and she's reading the Bible <laughs> and she's having a moment where she's trying to find her faith because she feels like, oh, what what does this all mean? And where we can get so lost in all this. You know, we need a foundation. And I've never been one for religion, but maybe I should be basically paying attention to it. This child said she's never been one for religion, but she had a voodoo <laughs> priestess bless her house. <laughs> she called it. 
uh, demons and ghosts out her basement. Yeah, and she's never been one for religion. Well, okay. that's spirituality. That's different. I think she was talking. She was talking about her mentioning her about her mom and time. going to church, yeah. and that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But so then Tick has this moment. He opens up about. Um, lo- they start talking about love, and he talks yeah. about his uh, this person in Korea who we've already kind of they alluded to in prior episodes, but someone in Korea that he was involved in, and how she questions. She's like, "Did you love her?" He's like, "I don't know. I think yeah, I don't know what so, we had was could be called love or something like that." And Letty mentions how like she never really felt like love was for her and all this. Um, because of her upbringing and then mm-hmm. he basically mentions how special what they have is and basically in not so many words telling her how much he loves her he just doesn't right. say it right again i i guess we needed that scene maybe whatever but yeah didn't really serve much of a purpose in this episode at least not really no so then and now we're getting near the end and this is the scene that i think got everyone outside of the the shoe scene <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so now Ruby is back and confronts Will um, about the basement as she as she's back in this house and she sees Will comes up come up from the basement and she's like hey I've been seeing you and Christina come up from that basement what's going on there and we see Will is kind of like having a not right now type moment he seems like he's in pain something's happening and that moment I realized exactly what was going down I was Me like too. oh shit I so, said no 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 so will starts transforming and he's christina he's been christina this whole time and they have done a good job with really never showing them in the same scene and i never even realized that me neither and i i figured because you you thought you knew they were in the same house yes but like in the another episode christina goes into the house then the cops are sitting outside and William comes, comes out, out and him up. So I was just like, oh, maybe she's in there with her, yeah. her butler. Like, that makes or sense. When, when we first see William, when he's introduced to um, Tick and them, he <laughs> says, oh, Christina's away, you know, when she yeah. returns and stuff. So it's always like they're never... And I just did never realized that, that they're never in the scene together. And so what's also interesting is in the books... Christina's character is actually a male. Like they kind of, they changed the gender in the show. And that was a question. So I thought that was really clever because it's like, yeah, you are kind of sticking to the books, but you, you added your own kind of twist to it and maybe appropriate twist because I was wondering, like, since Christina's character was kind of coming from this place of, I, I belong with the brotherhood but because i'm a woman i'm not given these rights and stuff i'm like well how what's her character like in the book since she is supposed to be actually a a man what's her story right so i thought that was kind of clever that they did that i think that's great how Um, she was talking about how they killed they tried they shot william but they figured out yeah how to you know fix him and so they they really shot her they probably really killed her and yeah so or maybe you think William that... was an actual person that and, was yeah. killed, and then she figured out how to take his image and make it into a potion or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that could be. That I don't know. See. But that that was insane, and I was like, no. Yeah, that was that was so good. No. Oh man. Um, but yeah, the episode. Was... You think it ends there? It didn't end there. It, no. To me, I think it should because to me, how it ended, I was like, okay. 
Um, so it ends with Tick finally translating a page mm-hmm. and he starts panicking and immediately he runs to the phone and he starts calling the number that he called back when he was at the Braithwaite's uh, manor. And we know this to be a Korean number mm-hmm. and a woman picks up and he just says, how did you know? How did you know? And she says something like, do you believe me now? And, he, and then he says, what are you? Mm. And I think she hangs up. So what did the pages say? Like it, it said, said something like die. die. Yeah. Which I'm like, like okay. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I, get it's it, interesting. But so the we'll next f- episode, we're going to find out who this woman, Korean woman is. I guess so. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. Like we said at the beginning, this was a, this was a psychological episode for sure. Yeah. Man, um, it's. I think they added a lot of extra scenes, possibly to set up the other episodes down the road. Yeah, but I hope so. At, if you were just putting the scenes into the episodes just to put them in, like some of them weren't necessary. But hey, it is what it is. I'm still enjoying the show. But like I said to you um, off the phone, I, I'm still I'm getting so emotional with this show because yeah. so many things mirror the experience that I have had in my own life in a lot yeah. of ways. And it's just with everything going on right now, it's a little much sometimes. And um, you know what? That's Jordan Pill. That is he, yeah. when he throws things in there, he, he throws the whole kitchen sink. Like he did that with us. Um, he yeah. did that with like, get out. Like he, he does that. And it's, there's a fine line over like almost too much because it, it can get, it can start somewhat beating you down and maybe it comes off a little better in movies, but because this is a a series and we're following the series, it's not like we're binge watching it, but we're following it every week. It's kind of prolonging that, that, um, that experience that we normally get compacted into two hours in a movie. So yeah, I I feel you in that. I, I do think it's all relevant, but I do understand. I feel you. Um, I can only hope similar to how Watchmen was and a lot of people keep kind of going back and comparing this to Watchmen because it, 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 even though it's fictional, it is relating to a, a, a lot of accurate historical events and, yeah. and things. I'm, I see these movies and these shows not as not targeting our audience, us as the audience. I mean, they're, they are because they know that we're going to watch it and we relate and all that stuff, but it's more, targeting or trying to get this information to um, an audience that's not us maybe a white audience maybe other other cultures for them to understand and learn through the um the guise of fiction as to this is this is reality for people yeah this is a history for people and this is the stuff you need to learn and sometimes the best way to learn it is through um, entertainment than like sitting down and telling someone here, watch this documentary, read this history book. So I kind of feel like it's more for the messages that they, they're really driving is really for them. But at the same time, do you, are they coming across? Because a lot of them are, they relate to our experience. And, and they're having experienced it, these Easter eggs too throughout the yeah. show. Yeah. And if you yeah. haven't experienced this, can you really know how, how, what the message is that they are, are laying out? <laughs> yeah. This is, oh. 
it's interesting. It's almost like it needs to have like some cliff notes along with the show. Cliff notes. Well, I do know. Yeah. I, I do know HBO has been really good at this in other uh, miniseries uh, in the past where they have alongside the series a podcast on yeah, HBO. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. So do they have one for this show too? They have a podcast. They do. do. And they also have, I thought you shared it with me. Someone came out with a syllabus uh, for every episode. Yes, they did. So, I mean, there's references out there. And I think they're answering that very same question you had, because there are probably people who don't get um, that. Some of these experiences are very unique experiences to us. And so, yeah, that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah, I purposely um, have not listened to the official podcast for the show because I kind of want to speak from the audience perspective and maybe not from how I mean, I'm assuming that the podcast is coming from this angle where they're they're giving they're getting kind of more inside information as well. So yeah, like like how their thought process was for the creation portion and also how it historically relates to yeah. the time period. So yeah, and, it, it's, and it's I want to speak, depth. and I want to speak more and from the perspective of the average viewer. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be a little ignorant to what they already saying, and I don't want to carry that on to our, you know, show. I may go back, you know, and listen to it once the series is done, though. Nice. Oh yeah, yeah no, love it was Christ. good. Good <laughs> episode. I of course am waiting for Sunday to watch the next one. That'd be great. Let me ask you this real quick. What else have you been watching, if anything? So, yes, I've been watching stuff. I have been (laughs) watching stuff. I have one thing I know I was going to, I wanted to mention two things. One of them just slipped my mind. So I'm going to mention at least one thing, hoping the other will come back before I finish. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I saw, um, I saw the movie Tenet. Okay. I, yes, that was my second movie experience back at the theater. Um, I saw it, at, was it last week maybe? Yeah, I want to say last week. Okay. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, can I do a snobby short on this? And no, I cannot do a snobby short on this. <laughs> this is why. Uh-huh. The movie's confusing as fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I like to think I'm an intelligent person and I like pick up on stuff. And I'm a scientist. What mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a physicist. I, I, I'm a biologist. Mm-hmm. I know, understand that. I don't get physics. I'm a C student in physics. I always have. And this movie was uh, like my nightmare my physics <laughs> physics nightmare so the thing is um the story the movie itself was good i will recommend anyone see it action wise wonderful acting great all of that stuff yeah. what was confusing was really the concept and at first it felt like okay here they are they're kind of explaining it let me you know just pay attention and i i can follow along then they kind of shifted gears cuz to be honest, and if you, and this is just a general, um, I'm not, this is not a spoiler. You should know this from the, the trailers. Mm-hmm. The movie talks about um, uh, this, this ability or force and seeing the trailers, you're not sure if this is a power or what, but basically it's a force where um, they experience, how they explained it is 
invert inverted entropy meaning it seems like things go backwards like so you're thinking is this like time like time going backwards it's not really time going backwards but it's motion and mm. things experiencing inverted um momentum gotcha that's a that's a lot to kind of you know just talk about in a, a in a review but that's the concept and so at first they're kind of explaining it and the way that i thought the movie was going to go is that the star, which is um, what's what's his name? Uh, it's Denzel Washington's son. Something yes, Washington. Uh, John Henry. Something. No, <laughs> something. Not John Henry. Please. Oh my god. I know, we like, know who he is. Denzel yeah. Washington's son. Yeah, he beautiful also, man. Yeah, he really god, is he's beautiful. Did um, you ever watch him in that? Um, there was another show on HBO that The Rock was in, where basically he played a football player in that show too. He was great. It, and the thing is, he's actually, he's a former football player. I didn't know that. John oh, David well, Washington. That's yeah. why it was like John Henry. I knew okay. it was like three names. John David Washington. So I thought the movie was going to be more about him understanding this and utilizing it for whatever his benefit is. So kind of turning it into a power or something. Mm. But instead, it was more like showing actions and whatever their mission and how they just handle dealing with it mm. dealing with this this concept or this force or this this thing that and so it became really really confusing later in the movie um it's one that you definitely have to i would recommend seeing watching twice and i'm going to have to see it twice because you're going to have a lot of questions and you kind of can't clearly remember like on certain things so you probably need a second viewing to to understand things that they laid out earlier on that may be important later. Yeah. Um, before I saw it, someone else that saw it um, told me, yeah, you may want to go ahead and just go and buy the second ticket and just watch it back to back <laughs> times because you're going to need a second viewing. So it's good, but I feel like um, Christopher Nolan kind of just, I don't know if he did the best job with explaining his concept and maybe he was just so focused on the action, which was superb. Mm -hmm. um, and also it was kind of confusing trying to understand every, the, the motivations of people like the mission. Think of a movie like mission impossible mm -hmm. or James Bond and how it starts off with something and, and somehow they get involved and they meet up with someone that has information about someone else that can get them into something else. And, and you're like, wait, what are we doing? Right. Like, who are these people? Why are they important? What is the goal here? <laughs> that was kind of hard to really follow. Okay. Um, so I will rate this movie. I'm going to give it a medium dry popcorn, possibly okay. more butter with the second viewing. I do recommend people see it. But I, it will leave you kind of feeling a little, yeah, you're going to scratch your head a little bit, even if you're, and maybe if you're really into physics and stuff, maybe it will make more sense to you. Mm -hmm. Me, mm, could have done a little bit better job. I hear it did really well at the box office, considering that, you know, the box office has been basically going broke during the pandemic. Yeah. Theaters closing. Um, that it's despite all odds it's doing really well and I, I believe it it's like overall it's a good movie it's mm -hmm. one that it's entertaining enough that even if you don't get get it or understand every aspect of it you can still watch it and like it um I just see it because I compare a lot of his movies and I'm thinking of like I love Inception 
I love Inception. Inception, even though it could be get confusing, I felt like he did a good job with laying out the story. Yeah. And and not only the action, and uh, there's a lot of action sequences that remind me of Inception that um, he did in this movie. Um, I just felt like he had a better grasp of the story, the plot, and the action. With this one, it felt like he was more focused on the plot and the action. I mean, not the plot, the action. So, yeah, that. <laughs> I'm going to let you tell me what you're watching while I hopefully remember the second thing I wanted to mention, but you go ahead. Okay, yeah. So I've been watching this one thing. So there's two things I watched. One I really liked. One I was like, that was a waste of my time. The thing I really liked is an FX uh, comedy series called What We Do in the Shadows. <gasps> Oh, that is awesome. I love that show. This <laughs> Go ahead. show is freaking hilarious. Cicely, you know me. I am yes. a mockumentary yes. person. Yes. You even starred in a mockumentary film that I did in college. Oh, Lord, um, we don't need to we don't need to mention <laughs> that. <laughs> we don't need people looking that up. <laughs> for your benefit, yes, not for mine. <laughs> <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows is an adaptation of, I believe, a 2014 film of the same name um, from New Zealand um, by, by two people that did, that did this adaptation for FX, um, for a series. Um, same people that did the movie did the TV series. It follows the life of four vampires and their familiar that live together in a house in, on Staten Island, of all places. And just the antics they get into just being vampires living together. There's three, like, classic vampires. One guy's from, like, he's a warrior from the Ottoman Empire. Another vampire um, and is from England. His wife is Greek. And they're, like, old, 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 like, hundreds and hundreds of years old. Um, their familiar is a young man of um, Latino descent who is, <laughs> who is, uh, he wants to be a vampire and he is the familiar of the, the first vampire. And then there is a daywalker kind of uh, vampire who's kind of like, he doesn't feast on humans' blood, but he just feeds on their energy throughout the day. Mm -hmm. An energy vampire. It's hilarious. The concept sounds ridiculous. Wait, it, oh, you have to get more into detail about the energy vampire because you still think this is an actual vampire, but this dude basically just talks you to death yeah. where you just feel so awkward. Like, you have to kind of give like, him attention, oh. yeah, but you give him it's attention, killing but you. You're like, why am I still here listening to this guy? Like, He's so boring. He's and very monotone what, and yeah. just talks and about the most. that's what he feeds off of. And like the way he looks. And of course it's shot very much like, because it's a mockumentary style, it's like they're always playing to the cameraman, kind of like the yeah. office or whatever. It is so funny. They get into so many antics. They actually have uh, quite a few big stars that have made cameo appearances in this series. Um they had uh, Tilda Swinton, Nick Kroll, mm -hmm. um, Wesley Snipes. I mean, like, just if, if it sounds absurd, it is exactly that. But it is well worth it because 
it makes you laugh from beginning to end. They deal with werewolves, uh, witches, demons, um, uh, city council. Yes, the city council stuff was (laughs) hilarious. That show is... Thank it's you for so reminding good. me about it because I kind of fell off of it. Not not anything about the show. I just kind of right. you know fell off. But I definitely definitely need to pick that up for like a quick laugh. I'm telling you, it is very bingeable. I watched it from one end of an epi- of a season to the to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there they have been renewed already for a third season. Oh, um, awesome! I know they have already. Um, they already said they won some Emmys or got some Emmy nominations already. So, I mean, the show is really, really good. It's, it, I have not seen the original movie, but now I want to because it's the same people that did it. So, oh, um, cool. I, I've got to check it out. And the movie is also a mockumentary. So I'm really excited to see that, but I'm giving that a large popcorn with butter. Yes. It is exactly yeah. what you need in a pandemic. It takes your mind off of all of, the actual craziness in the world and puts it on the utter ridiculousness you see on the screen. It's perfect. It's, I it's a agree. perfect comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's, a I... scene. There's a scene where they took the really, really old vampire that was visiting them to the club. Mm-hmm. And then did you see? They I took don't think I saw club. that one. Oh, you got to see it. You gotta see. It was in the first episode. It was in the first season, like one of the third, second or third episode. You gotta check it out. It's okay. Fun. Okay. <laughs> oh, so dumb. But yeah, good times. Really okay. good. Times. So I, I do remember now the episode, the the other show I was gonna mention, and I mm-hmm. meant to mention this before because I'm a, I'm late on this. This is something that I put on the back burner a long time ago, and I told myself when I have time to binge watch it, I was going to. Um, Scream Queens. Did you ever see Uh-oh. the show? Yeah. No. You didn't? No. Oh my god. I didn't think it was going to be as funny as it was. Um, so Scream Queens is a little like an exaggerated um, blend of um, Scream, obviously, like kind of like a horror thriller type of killer whodunit type um, show or mm-hmm. movie, even though it's a sh- series. Um, it's a blend of that meets clueless meets um legal uh, was that legally movie, legally blonde you oh. know that type of stuff so it's dealing with this campus um uh, really a sorority uh that uh, a sorority and a fraternity and there's a killer on campus and for some reason they're targeting a lot of people that are related to the sorority and fraternity and um not bella thorne what's the girl's name that is uh, emma roberts she mm-hmm. is like the president of the um sorority and she you've seen this meme often this gif or Mm -hmm. gif however you want to pronounce it of her kind of pouting or like stamping her foot and pouting that comes from the show and that's a perfect perfect depiction of her character who is so rich and just so snobby that she's one that she doesn't have a filter she says everything that's on her mind she doesn't care how it's, it's, it's like it's not even meant to be cruel it's just matter of fact from her and mm-hmm. she has these minions and she calls them Chanel's they don't even have their own she doesn't even know their name she just calls them like Chanel number one Chanel number two Chanel number three <laughs> and these are basically just you know her her crew and they just suck up to her they're all rich the the sorority house is like a mansion um, everything is just over the top so think of kind of like Reno 911 meets Glee because this is mm-hmm. done by um, 
uh, the dude that does Glee and American Horror Story and all. Ryan, whatever his name is. But yes, so he's, it's over the top and it's, and it's supposed to be a little outlandish and even some of the, the deaths are over the top. And so the characters and not only her character but it also it has Nisi, Nisi Nash in it and she mm-hmm. plays like this uh, security guard that really wants to be a cop but she can't carry a gun but she she <laughs> treats everyone like she is um, this badass cop she's hilarious that's awesome um, it has the Emma Roberts her character her her she's a Chanel too her character is Chanel <laughs> um her boyfriend, who is the president of the fraternity, he's hilarious. I think his name <laughs> is Chad. And basically, it's just like he, he sleeps with everyone, and he, he's unapologetic about him being him. He's like, well, of course I'm with you. you you're, you're hot, you're rich, and you are the president of your sorority. It only is right. And so when start, things start kind of going wrong, and it seems like she's, she's losing a grip over um, the sorority and the people that she lets in, he, mm. he dumps her and they keep going back and forth on who dumps who. Mm. And it's, it's a ridiculous show. I've still, I haven't even finished the first season. I think I only maybe had one season before it was canceled. It really doesn't need more. Cause it's a little too over the top that after a while it, it will kind of get old. Mm. But from what I've seen, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I feel I'm probably, I don't know how many episodes I'm in. It feels like I'm in a lot of episodes like I'm far down but it probably is only like episode nine or something yeah it's one of those that I feel like it does need a limited series because it it goes oh Jamie Lee Curtis is in it too I forgot but Uh, it it goes back and forth so much that it gets so convoluted on who the killer is the killer there's and obviously there's going to be multiple killers because you you discover this person is involved but then they get killed and you're like well then who is the, the new killer so the story, it goes crazy, but it's hilarious. I think you will like it if you just try the first episode. Because if you, if you see the first episode and you really are rolling your eyes and hate it, then yeah, lay it down. Because basically the whole show is that way. But, it, but if you like it, if you laugh at it, you know, right. go ahead and finish the season. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going um, to get away from the comedy and go into this drama. Now, I started watching it. And I quickly, sadly, quickly got bored of it mm-hmm. in the first episode. And it was Power Book Two. Ooh, I haven't even started it. I can't. So I, I, I watched not... Power, the, you know, the first series of shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was okay with Power. You know, I, I got into the characters. I got into the stories. And, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm really just not interested in seeing his son like, because the son is a, a little shit. Yeah, that's the thing. He <laughs> is. So I, I was like, they're basing a show around him now? Like, no. So I tried watching it first se- first episode of the season, and I was just like, nah, I can't be a viewer of this one. Now, there are some people across the internet who were like, I'm actually going to watch it. I think it's okay. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not one of those people, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but... For what it is, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to continue the story like, okay, we now know who shot Ghost, but now it's like, will they ever find out who it is? And, you know, and it's just, it's just... The only story I was like interested in continuing is Tommy's story. Because yes. he... I love his character. But then why then do we have to follow the son? Like, let it just be about Tommy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, we don't care... A lot of us don't care about 
his son and you know the wife yeah. and all that we don't care anymore so it's just because they were they did some stupid stuff they did, they did dumb they, stuff at the so end. they are gonna have they're supposed to have uh, a, a a chapter i guess they call it a chapter just for tommy so book this okay. is what book two or something yeah, book two i'll wait so for Tommy's maybe book, book three i'm skipping this book because yeah but you know how it's gonna be like there's gonna they're gonna be referencing stuff that happens so i'm probably eventually gonna watch it i'm just not in a hurry yeah so. i just feel like right now it's a waste of my time so i, I you know. feel you yeah <laughs> there's other stuff well, that's more important out there i think we can be watching oh so give me a rating from the little bit that you did see of that and I, i'll give you my rating for scream queens because i forgot to rate that uh I don't even want to rate it because for me it was a waste of time. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm going to rate Scream Queens probably a medium popcorn with butter. Okay. Um, and I'm only I'm not doing large because, like I said, I think, uh, however many episodes the season has, I think it's starting to get a little old. Like you, once you understand the shtick, it's like okay, I get it. You know, so. <laughs> It's it's enough, and maybe it's because I'm binge watching it. It's one of those that we talked about that maybe it's better to watch it in with space in between every mm-hmm. you know episode rather than binging it, um, yeah. or else it just starts getting a little redundant. Um, so yeah, that's all. I'll, I'll give it a medium with butter because of that. Okay. Speaking of binging, you know what I what show I I'm not going to go into it, but you know what mm-hmm. show I think is doing it right, like giving us just enough but giving us enough to binge what raised by wolves yes they're, no, I they're releasing episodes two at a time yeah they're, yes, they're they actually are. releasing episodes two at a time and that's brilliant i don't know yeah, of any I... other show that's done that in the in the um modern era i guess i'm sure there's some out there that do but releasing a series like this two episodes at a time it satisfies your need to binge but it still gives you enough space to be ready for next week you know yeah, what i mean it's keeping it relevant for a while it's, it's giving it's, it's giving the network space to you know not have to try to just fill their their slots up so quickly because you once you binge watch you need something else to fill it it's it, it it's such a good series it leaves Every episode is left with a cliffhanger, but not to the point where it's like, it feels like a cliffhanger. Yeah, they're um, doing it right. I don't want to get into it, but yeah. it's because it's, it's a show that deserves its own episode, I think. Yeah. And but, we're going to, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about it. We're going to give some time to it. Yeah, but it's, they're doing it right by releasing two episodes at a time. More shows do that, please. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, this was wonderful. Thanks for the talk again, sis. Thank you. So... We will be back uh, for a new episode on Lovecraft. Um, The new episode airs, I guess, this previous one or maybe the one before it came out early, like it came out Labor Day weekend on a Friday instead of um, Sunday. Oh, okay. Or something. So I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I just don't know what they're doing anymore. They're they're just breaking all the rules. But uh, we're going to assume the new episode is going to air on Sunday. We'll yeah. be back next week with our um, recap of that episode. And in the meantime, you can catch all of our episodes on our page on Anchor. That's anchor.fm backslash real snobs. From there, you can find us at other uh, places that host podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. You can find us. Yeah. Um, 
remember to, if you're interested, if you want to leave a comment about something we've talked about, about a show that you're interested in, um, there's a link on our site and probably a link, I think, on Apple Podcasts where you can leave a voicemail. You may be featured in an upcoming episode. Who knows? Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And till next time. Bye, guys. Bye.